rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Well, welcome to our podcast. Today I have one of my favorite people in the whole world with me, <laughs> Mr. Isaiah Tatum. Welcome, Isaiah, to Rumors of Grace. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we are here in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. The leaves are ch- changing. It's a beautiful time of year. Yes, it is. And so we are just sitting here in a quiet space talking. And um, when I decided to do this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Rumors of Grace, I met a lot of great people. And one of the things I wanted to do was really talk to people who I've had some really intimate conversations who um, have been through their own seasons of, of pain, of change, um, of joy, mm-hmm. um, but have found lots of beauty in all of those things. And you were the, one of the first persons that I thought of. And so welcome to the show. Thank you. And so tell us a little bit about who is Isaiah Tatum. Well, before we do that, what do you do in the daytime to earn your living? Let's start there. Okay. So I am a real tour. A real tour. <laughs> a real tour. As opposed to a fake tour. Exactly. <laughs> and a real estate agent. <laughs> uh, there's a difference. There's, there you go. Uh, but nine to five, I guess you want to say I do real estate here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And of course, that I help uh, people buy and sell homes, but I also help investors make investments here in town that will reap them a good benefit here in a few years or so. And how long have you been doing that? Two years. September 13th was my two-year anniversary. Uh, Congratulations. And I understand you're doing well. Yeah, it's it's been a blessed, (laughs) blessed year. (laughs) It's going very well. So in addition to being a real estate agent, Mm -hmm. um, I know you're also quite the accomplished singer. Tell us a little bit about that. Accomplished singer? Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, Bob is prophesied, I guess. Yes, I do sing. Okay. And, um, but you've done some things, right? I have. I've been in some um, musicals. I've um, sang on some albums and worked in entertainment, worked at music, record labels and, and singing. Um, it's just it's what I've done since I was like a little boy. Okay. Really, I think that's probably like the longest um, hobby or gift that I've had, you know, ever since I Can was you sing a, us a line? Can you sing? Can I sing <laughs> here on the podcast? Yeah, come on. Just give us like a line of your favorite hymn. <laughs> oh. Oh, him. Um, oh, it doesn't have to be him. Just give um, us something. Well, I mean, we're talking about grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. In grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. blind but 
mercy. There it is. Awesome. <laughs> I think that was more than a line. I think that was a whole stanza, but how can yeah, you stop Amazing Grace? Awesome. <laughs> I got goosebumps. Oh, wow. Awesome. Thank you for You're doing so that. Welcome. So you are quite the singer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Real estate agent. Amazing vocalist. <laughs> uh, tell us about your little side project. Oh, side projects. Side tell house. us about the cooking side project. Absolutely. So, um... What Bob is referring to is Big Eyes Sweet Potato Pies. Big Eyes Sweet Potato Pies. Big Eyes Sweet Potato Pies. Um, it was basically a recipe that I actually created. Mm. And um, it's a funny quick story behind that. Uh, I think it was like 2014 or 2015. Um, I had a ruptured disc. Mm. And um, it had gotten so bad that one day I was driving down Bell Road and the pain hit my back. And I literally went under the steering wheel while driving. So at that point, I knew that I had to go to the hospital. Like it literally mm. like it was pinching my sciatic nerve mm. The because it had ruptured. It was on my sciatic right, nerve, which bulged out right? and it bulged. And literally, I couldn't walk like mm. it was one day I fell out of bed and couldn't move. Mm. So it was just bad. So I went and saw the neurosurgeon and he didn't even ask my name. He was like, what day do you want to have surgery? I was like, what are you talking about? He, he showed me the x-ray and the MRI. And so basically, long story short, at that time, I was um, kind of doing like some uh, freelance work. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't have like a real nine to five at that time. And so I was really strapped for cash. And um, and my mom came up to uh, take care of me. <laughs> Still a mama's boy, mm -hmm. right? Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, mom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and um, and so she was like, "You should, you should think about selling your pies." And she was like, she was just jokingly while I'm on the bed. I wish I could have one of your sweet potato pies. And I was like, uh, I said, nobody want to buy that. And um, I went to Fiverr.com yeah, yeah. <laughs> and got a logo made. Okay, and put it on Facebook. And I was like, does anybody in Nashville want to buy a sweet potato pie? I had ten hits that day. Mm. of 10 people who wanted to buy sweet wow. potato pie. So that's basically how it was birth. <laughs> Talk about birth out of pain, you know. Um, that big ice sweet potato pies was wow. birth out of pain wow. and a need. So mm. you really get creative when you have a need. And that's awesome. literally it's just what you have in your house mm. can make you a living. That's so great. There. Yeah. That's great. Now, let's... Um, now let's go back a few years, and we'll uh, maybe we'll go back chronologically. Do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 28. So you're 28. Mm -hmm. Very still a very young man. Yeah, you went to college at. Uh, I went to undergrad at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh -huh. and then I have a uh, went to, for a master's degree at Full Sail University in okay. Florida. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. And you have a degree in sound engineering? or what So undergrad, I have a degree in business management. Mm -hmm. And then the master's degree is in entertainment business. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, 28 years ago, you were born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Getting older out here. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your childhood. Were you the only child? You have siblings? What's Yeah. So I'm actually the baby mm. of four. My dad has four kids, my mom has three, so I'm the baby mm. of mm. of four, basically. Mm. 
And um, my brother is 34. My sister's 34. And my other sister, who they think we're twins, mm-hmm. is two years older than me. So okay. she'll be 30. And uh, well, she is 30. And I'm 28. Okay. You know? Um, and we grew up in Little Rock, but it's actually a small town called Wrightsville, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And even so, we have a funny story because we grew up around my family. Mm. So they called it Tatumville. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. They said, oh, we're going to Tatumville because my grandparents were entrepreneurs and it's a small town. And um, we had a grocery store. Okay. And then behind the grocery store. Was it called Tatum's? It was called Cash and Carry. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cash and Carry Market. That is still alive right now. There you go. So behind Cash and Carry (laughs) is my aunt's house. Right next door is my grandma's house. Across the street was my house. Next door to our house was my uncle's house. Mm. And next door to my uncle's house was my other uncle's house. Mm. So there there you have Tatumville. And I just mm-hmm. grew up around my family. And we were a tight-knit family, a family that was taught hard work. I mean, all of our lives, all we've known our grandparents to do and be were entrepreneurs. Grew up um, in a household, I guess, until third grade, of third grade of my life. Um, I think you're like nine or 10 at that time. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. third grade. I grew up, grew in a home um, with the mom and dad and sisters and brothers and everything. Until you're how old? Third grade, so about nine yeah. and 10. Right. So um, my parents got divorced when I was in third grade. Okay. And What was that like for you? I actually would say that was probably like a big turning point in mm. my life. Brokenness. Mm. Um, because Do you remember that event? I actually do. You know, like, like, because anytime that you have like life changing things to happen, you really remember like yeah. the day, like, like the day, uh huh, like I like big events, nine eleven, things like that. Absolutely, yeah. and I can, I remember, you know, like even thinking now, I can see my mm-hmm. elementary school and my grandma and just everybody's just talking, just like really being that broken child because I, um. All I all I've known was my mom and dad to be in the same home. Mm-hmm. All I've known was that we've all lived in, under the same roof since I was a kid. I didn't know anything else. So now to have to go to an even smaller town to go live with my grandma, it was just it was it just does something to you. You know, it's just like seeing parents divorce, like it really destroys the kids. Like because again, you uproot your life. And what you've known is no longer there. And then you see the fighting and the bickering and you're just like, what is, what is this? How did your siblings take it? Well, they were older than me. So their sister was only a year or two, right? Yeah. So she's like, what, 12, 13? And then my brother and sister, you know, they're like 16, 17, you know, 15, 16, 17. So they're older and more mature. I'm pretty sure that it you know, did something to them. I've never had the conversation, Mm. you know, with them on how they felt about it. You know what I'm saying? But I I definitely know that it was very hurtful for me. Like, Mm. very hurtful. So, um, so yeah, it was, that's childhood. I had a great, you know, I had a great upbringing. Mm -hmm. Did you go live with your mom or? Yeah, we lived with my mom. That whole, it was just a, it was just, just really honest. It was just like a big battle. Yeah. Like divorces can get so nasty mm. between husband and wife, but the kids are in the middle. And the kids are always that middle yeah. middle ground and the people who are affected. So at that point, you can't... Um, 
it's, it's just hard and it was very hard for me and it's just one of those things that um it's just one of those things that you just think about and it's just like man my family is no longer together and then you see you got kids whose parents are together mm -hmm. and then you long for like that wholeness in a family yeah you know? so were you longing for that even as a 9 10 11 year old absolutely like i mean at that point and being nine or ten years old, my family had been together ever since that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to go from a ten years of yeah. having a family mm. and then have to be ripped apart, that does something to you. So what were the next few years like for you? Bob, that's a long time ago. I want to say they were hard. I mean, I think... Hard in a way that because you wanted your parents together or financially hard or... I think it was a mixture. Like my dad, I mean, my mom and dad worked and my dad had made the most money and then my mom. So, you know, together, income together is a lot when you both mm -hmm. have income. But when it's split, you know, now we go live with my mom that has to provide shelter for three kids. And um, so she had to buy a new house. Now she has to feed three kids. Not only that, but you got three kids that are growing. You know what I said? And so at that time, I actually develop an eating disorder. Not more so like I would eat, like get heavy and fat. Do you think that was like a comfort to you? Absolutely. Mm. It was definitely a comfort. It's just a way, it was a way to get away from the pain. Mm. It was easy, it was accessible. All those different things that when you don't talk about anything or you hold emotions in, that's the way to kind of cope with it. And we grew up country, so we knew good food. We knew Southern good <laughs> greens, uh, <laughs> greens, chicken, and ham, and mm -hmm. all these different things, unhealthy things. That, right. you know, said. However, that's how we grew up, sure. right? So um, that that was hard, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and looking back on it today, it was just like wow. Just looking and being older now, being twenty eight, to be able to process those things. So, so here you are, nine or ten. Your parents get divorced. Certainly, it's painful struggle. Mm -hmm. You find comfort in eating. Mm -hmm. How? What were your preteen and teenage years like, <laughs> Bob? I mean, <laughs> I want to say those were like my worst years. Mm. Um, I was teased heavily in um, junior high school and high school. Mm. Um, many people tease me about my weight. They call me fat and ugly and just all these different things but a lot of people didn't know also that i was um molested when i was young mm. and how old were you when that happened mm, i want to say about seven years old you know? so this was before the divorce this was before the divorce and one of those things that older kid and an older male kid you're right mm -hmm. um in the neighborhood and just I won't go into detail about it but it's just like your innocence is taken was, no. from, was it from another family member? Or? Mm -mm. Okay. Another person in the neighborhood. Okay. And um, that was close to the family. So um, we visit his grandma in the summer and everything and come down there. And um, so it was just like, now I learned how to keep secrets. Mm. At seven years old, when I'm supposed to be playing with Power Rangers, right. G.I. Joe, you know, and everything, I'm sexually violated. Right. And having to grow up faster than what a kid has to mm -hmm. because keeping secrets is like what grownups do. Kids do it, but those type of secrets, 
you know, it's mm. heavy. So that's where the heaviness comes from, too, with eating. Because I can't... It was a comfort as well. Exactly. It was safety. Right. It was safety. It's where I felt safe. Because, I mean, the family got together to eat together. So it felt safe. And then at that point, it's just one of those things that you cave in and you, you build up these walls and you... Mm. You just want to be alone, and then you put on these these um, these masks to block yourself from people to see who you truly are. But not only that, but you also have to tack on the words of people, mm. and because words kill. You know, I always said that I would much rather get punched in the face and ran over by a bus than to have to cope with people's words, mm. because the pain of getting hit by a bus will go away eventually. That's medication. Mm -hmm. But words can destroy you. Mm. And words can stick with you for a lifetime. Mm. A lifetime. Mm. And it hinders you. And it hinders you from becoming who you were created to be. Was that your experience? Yes. How did that manifest as you got older? Teenager, starting high school? I... I was big on performance. Mm. I had a mask, like it's just fake. I laugh at it now, but it was it was just crazy. Mm. But it was more so performance. I wanted you to like the person that I portrayed, but I never mm. wanted you to see the painful me. So I would go up and be like I was. I was guess, it you were like the class clown or no? Or just the I was performer? the successful person. Right. Oh, I was the class president. Got it. I was the person that. The basically the perfect guy, right? You know what I'm saying? That had it all together. Yeah, had it all together. And now, were you still eating at this time a lot? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, did you struggle with your weight in the high school? Absolutely. Okay. Like it was, it was, it was, it was bad. Um, I think the worst that I got, you know, even to tack on my childhood and the molestation and everything. When I was 17, um. I actually found my father in our house dead. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and had, had you had a relationship with your father to that point? Yes. So, my dad. Um, Did he commit suicide? No. He just died in his sleep. Oh. He had this sleep. He was overweight, and my dad was a workaholic. And, like, if I say anything, I get my work ethic from he and my mom, mm -hmm. but more so the entrepreneurship. Right from my dad because my dad was a post office or a postman for 22 years mm. and I'll never forget the day that he came home and um, he said I can't do this anymore I quit you know so he quit his job mm -hmm. and I've never seen someone with so much drive and focus to know that if I don't get up this morning I can't feed my family mm. So my dad created the number two house building company in the state of Arkansas. Wow. So even with that, that brought wealth, building houses and being the developer. My dad built an entire neighborhood with like four or five phases. And so my well, life. Can you back up for a second? Absolutely. Not to not to touch, go too deep into that. But what was it like? It seems like he was very successful. Was he financially successful by that time? Yes. Did you reap the benefits from that? I after you his and passing? your mom, I mean, no, 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 not after his past. I'm just saying, it seemed like you guys struggled for a while, and then was he continuing to support your mom right. all through it? So he was, he was on the course child support, all right, and that was one of the reasons why he quit the post office. He right, said because right. child support was taking that check. 
Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they were, I guess you call garnishing or or whatever they were doing, they were taking our child support out and sending it to my mom. Mm-hmm. But really, kids really don't care about money. They want their dad. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we wanted, we just like, we were just like, we want our dad. And of course, if, if he built the second biggest home building, he was never home, right? No. Yeah. Like, he was never there. Like, my dad was able to be successful and provide for his Did family. he remarry? Oh, yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. Wow, we don't have time for that. So he was not there for you. So anytime he did have, he was with his other family. Not necessarily. Like, me and my sister actually moved in with my dad. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, when we got older, we moved sure. back down there with okay. my dad. So know? fast forward, 17, you find him dead. Absolutely. The summer before my senior year. Mm. What did that do to you? It wrecked me. Mm. However, that's the, that was the place where I really got to know God. Mm. And that was the place where everything started to make sense. I didn't understand it at that time. Um, because literally he had came home. We talked to him that night and he was like, man, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. And so I was just like, well, I want to do something nice for him. I do something nice for everybody. So let me, let me cook breakfast for everybody. And, um, so I went in there and cooked breakfast and all that. So I went and knocked on his door and I'm just like, man, daddy's here. Cause he's usually out the house by seven, seven thirty every day. Okay, um, and come home probably twelve mid- at midnight and right. do it all over again. Unhealthy, and right? However, that's what he did. He had to do it. Um, so I went into his room. I was like, Dad. Um, I was like, Hey, you want some bacon? Nothing. And my dad was a—I told you—he was a bigger guy, so he had like the machine, the sleep machine that helped with the snoring and breathing and everything. Apnea, sleep apnea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, I was like, Dad, you want some bacon? You know, and this time I was at his door. He didn't answer me. So I went closer. I was like, Dad, do you want some bacon? Just jokingly. And so I got right next to him. I was like, Dad, do you want some bacon? And he was just, I'll never forget it. You you can't ever erase it out your brain. And then, like, in my left ear, I heard beep, 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 beep. It was his sleep apnea machine. Mm -hmm. And it said, alert, alert, Mm -hmm. alert. I was like, Dad. Dad, and so I pulled the covers off of him, mm-hmm. and basically all his fluids came out, mm-hmm. and he was so cold. And I lifted his arm, and it just fell. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I knew that he was already gone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm calling my sister, and I'm like, "Yo, down nine one one, down nine one one, down." And they came in there running, and I'm like, "What's going on? What's going on?" But on the spiritual side, um, and so they got all of us out of the house I'm saying because they have to do all this precautions to make sure that it's not a criminal scene right. and all of that and I vividly remember like the enemy talking to me in my head like you're gonna lose your mind you're gonna lose your mind mm. you're gonna lose your mind at 17 right mm-hmm. and so they took us across the street to cash and carry mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, my mom said I'm going to have to take him to go see a psychiatrist or a counselor. Mm. And I don't know what came out of me. I was like, no, you won't. Mm. Like, I stood firm because that was reconfirming the fact that I was going to lose my mind. And so I was like, no. You want to handle this on your own. Right. Because you'd handled everything else on your own. Exactly. But not even just that. It was just like, I I felt like it was 
just basically affirming the enemy to say that I was going to lose mm. my mind. Mm. And that was not the case. Like, I'm still in my right mind. It's just shock mm -hmm. because I really didn't cry until the day after my dad's funeral. Mm -hmm. It didn't hit me until after, like right. the day after. I woke up and I sobbed yeah. because you're just in shock. Somebody that's been here for years is no longer there, mm -hmm. right? And your life changes. Right. But it was the, <laughs> this might sound crazy, but it was the best thing mm. for my life. Mm. Because years and years, I, I, I had seen God just do great things like college was paid for, graduation stuff was paid for, Everything just a way how God provides was just taken care of. And God showed me like what mm -hmm. a true father was like. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I would say that was probably when I really found Jesus. Yeah. And years, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I asked God the question because I was mad. I was like, God, why did you take my dad away from me? And I'll never forget the Holy Spirit just speaks so subtle, but it's just so peaceful. He was like, if I didn't do it, one, you wouldn't become the man that I created mm. you to be because you saw your dad as a god. Mm. Like, he was your provider. You idolized him. Yeah, yeah. And God is true. Mm. He was just like, put no man before me, mm. right? Even if it's your dad, even if it's your kid, even if it's your mom, mm. you don't do that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but that's what it is. He was just like, I wouldn't become who I was created to become mm. if I had that crutch. Okay. And I was grateful for that. So yeah. that's when you're 17. Mm, that was that the death happened. Yeah, and then the turn like this whole transformation took what a few years or yeah, it took about I want to say that probably happened like 2011. Okay. when I was about to graduate college. You okay, because God answers you when you're ready for the information. So you go to college, you're dealing with all this, and you're seeing a lot of positive things still happening in your life. Mm -hmm. Had you? told anyone about what happened as your child at that point? <laughs> I got stories for days. And I want to say that's where I found my angel mm. in college. Mm. I was going to this church in Jonesboro mm -hmm. and this lady came up to me and she was like, I don't know what it is about you, but I can't stop thinking about you. Mm. Let's go to lunch. And is I was this, uh, someone your age, an older woman or an older one? Okay. Like she's married. It wasn't right. anything yeah, just yeah. bad. So I was just like, okay, I knew of her and everything because, again, even at that time in college, I still had that successful, here I am, you know, I'm like, so SAB, yeah, yeah, yeah. all these big things. So she was just like, um, yeah, for some reason, I can't stop thinking about you. Let's go to lunch. So she picked me up, went to a Chinese restaurant, Chinese buffet restaurant. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right up your alley. Right <laughs> up my alley, Bob. <laughs> and... Um, she, general conversation, but she shared her story. Mm. And she shared the story of how her dad molested her. Mm. Think about that. Mm. The person that you feel like should be protecting you is mm. hurting you. Mm. Bob, I put them egg rolls down <laughs> and I started boohooing mm. because I thought I was alone. There mm. was somebody that validated you. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. this was somebody where I felt safe. Right. And because she was vulnerable. Because she was vulnerable. Right. Right? Because who tells that their dad molested? Like, you know, because like really truly, like a saying is is very effective in the African American community is that whatever is done in this house stays in this house. Mm. 
And that has been the number one killer of people of holding secrets. Mm. What's done in this house stays in this house because mm. we don't want anybody outside to know what's going on in this house. Mm. That's not a way to live. That's where right. you develop secrets, right? So when she told me that story, I mean, I boohooed and I couldn't stop it because here it is. I finally found the light in this darkness. Here I am smiling on the outside, but just so beat down and so depressed and just all this on the inside. Were you dealing with depression too? At that Absolutely. But I knew how to cover it. Like it's easy to go out and be great, but then come home and just crash. And that's what I was doing. Mm. And... However, I didn't know what it was. I could never be vulnerable to anybody or I never could tell anybody the, sto the story, right? Um, or I never had it to ask the questions, anybody to ask the questions to because I felt alone. And when that happened, I've, it was more so, here's the freedom that I've been praying for, that somebody allows me mm. to not be okay. Right. And to tell them my story and to to do all these things that my soul had been desiring. Mm. And she was a person. So she was, I call her my angel. And so you opened up to her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like she was the first person that knew everything about me. Mm. And how did that begin to change and transform you? Yeah. So. Being able to talk about your pain mm. is freedom. Mm. It's hard when you're first starting out, but that's the only way healing is going to come, mm. is to allow the truth to come in. Mm. Because at that time, I've believed a whole bunch of lies. Mm. You know? Even though you were successful, you were going to church, you were... Uh, you, all that stuff. Bob, some of the deadest people are in the church pews. <laughs> yeah. Point blank. Right. Some of the deadest people are in religion. Mm -hmm. I was one of those people. And it's an epidemic today. Explain explain that a little bit. Tell me what, how you were dead or felt like you were dead. Yeah, you go to church. Praise the Lord, Bob. Mm -hmm. How are you doing, brother? You know, God is good. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, God bless you. Like anything that you need, you know, just call mm -hmm. me, right? Go home, crash. Mm -hmm. Go home, addictions. Go home, depressed. Mm. Go home, somebody maybe beating your wife. Like, there's no internal change. Right. And there's just death mm. on the inside. You exist, but you're not living. And that's the epidemic that we're dealing with today. I was a master of it mm. because I had to protect the secret. Right. A lot of people are protecting the secret. Mm. So... You let that out. You found this beautiful woman that, that helped you mm -hmm. give a voice to it. Absolutely. Then what happened? <laughs> I started going to counseling at the, at the university. Mm -hmm. um, thank God for counseling. <laughs> Seriously. Because I think there is a stigma right. against counseling. Sure. You need to go talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And you ain't going to talk to somebody so that you got the freedom to speak mm -hmm. and to get this load off of you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because we were not created to carry this heaviness. Mm, that's good. Like, we weren't created 
You know, like God gives us the spiritual and the Holy Spirit. And yes, cast all your cares on me for I care for you, you know. But he also gave somebody here in this natural to go get some schooling and some training to say, mm-hmm. hey, I need to do it. You mean talk through this. Right. Because the reason why these things, because typically we take care of the the symptom. We take care of the, the fruit mm-hmm. when we need to get to the root. Right. Right. I agree with that. So at that point is like, you know, addictions and. You know, you know, depression and all that stuff. Those are f- that's a fruit right. coming from a root. So, how long did you go, or maybe you still are? How how long did you go through counseling and? Yeah, um, I didn't last long in counseling um, <laughs> at at school because I was too embarrassed. Mm. Shame gripped me. So you still, even after getting this all out, it was still a process. At, it's a process to today, Bob. Mm. Like that's good. These things, because when you a seven year old mm-hmm. with years of this person that you created, then now you have to come face with the truth. That's a process of healing. Mm-hmm. And first, you got to get all this gunk out of you. Yeah, you got to get all of this, all like all of this darkness out of yeah, you. Yeah. you. Not only the pain, but the fruit that comes mm-hmm. from the pain. So you have to go through that first. And then the healing starts coming mm. because you have to, because basically what we've been doing has been believing the lies of the mm-hmm. enemy. So now I need truth. And, but you got to come back. It's a war because at that point, the enemy has you. You know, one of the best um, ways of saying it that helps me in my life is, you know, we spend our lives many times trying to become better and become something. Uh-huh. And yet, maybe our job is to unbecome everything that we're not. Uh, wow. You know, and that's, you know, the, the person that we were before the world, these experiences, mm-hmm. these people told us who we were supposed to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. We got to get back to who we were before that. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds like to me that that was your journey, is like you said. Your description of cleaning out the gunk yeah. was, you know, unbecome all these things that you had believed were you mm-hmm. or weren't you, um, but we believe that. So, so you were, so you're still going through that, and obviously it's a lifelong process. But yeah. what were some things that, as you were going through counseling, as you grew, and as you got through college, like were there some turning points? Were there some changes? Were some things that you realized about yourself that were kind of mile markers in the road that you said, oh, it was like a light bulb went on or something changed in you or was it just been a slowly gradual process up until today? There have been a lot of turning points. I think, like, especially when your steps are ordered by the Lord, um, (laughs) different things because, like, I would say coming to Nashville was a turning point. Mm. And because... I was interning at a record label my summer before I graduated college, and they offered me a job in Houston. And two months before graduation, they called me. It's like, hey, the job is no longer available unless you want to come down here and work for $10 an hour. Mm. I was like, um, <laughs> how am I supposed to live on $10 an hour in Houston? Yeah. So I'd be poor. Mm. I said, absolutely not. So I was sent back home. I had to go back home. Mm-hmm. and live with my mom, you know, and my family. And one day, I'll never forget, that's when I enrolled in Full Sail, and I knew I always wanted to work in entertainment. And um, I went in my mom's room, 
mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm moving. And I was, she was like, where are you moving to? And I was like, Nashville. Never been. I've been to Nashville one time. Never been. And I was just like, I'm moving to Nashville. Because two months before, um, the record label called me and said, hey, we got a few artists going to Memphis. Can you come help out? It was just two hours from my house. I was like, mm-hmm. yes. And basically, one of the artists would introduce me to my new boss. And... Um, and my new boss stayed in Nashville. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. And then I went in there and I said, Mom, moving to Nashville. She was like, she's like, okay, there's nothing here for you. So go. Bob, the next day, literally, the next day, I get a call from Warner Music Group mm. and said, Hey, you filled out an application a year ago. Mm. A year ago. Are you still interested in, in an internship here in Nashville? The, the day after you moved here? No, the day after I told my mom uh, that I was moving it. to Nashville. Okay. So I was like, yeah. I was like, you wouldn't believe. Like, I just told my mom I was moving to Nashville, so I'll be there whenever I need to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, God, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is crazy. And the day I moved to Nashville, I had a roommate. The day I moved to Nashville, somebody went to a certain church that now I'm a member of now. Hmm. The first day I moved there. And at this church, I was able to find more freedom. Hmm. And we went through this thing called Discipleship Ministry School. Mm-hmm. And it's by, it was um, created by a lady named Diane Monyasama from uh, Melbourne, Australia. Okay. Right. And when I tell you they get down to the nitty gritty, it's not one of those surface levels, right. you know, like you literally had to renounce and confess to a brother. So it was like going to a counseling session all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> but just in the spiritual realm, right, right. you know, and so that was a turning point. That was a light bulb of where I knew that I needed to be here mm-hmm. in order to gain more freedom mm. because it's a process like this thing's a process. It's a process until the day we die. Now, in this whole process, uh, have, were you able to go back and talk to your mom about this? Yes, my mom knows. Okay. And yeah. how was that when you, you told her? That was hurtful. Okay. I could see the hurt in her face. Mm. Um, because a mom wants to protect her baby. Yeah. Like, a mom wants to protect... And at that moment, when you tell somebody that you didn't protect, you know, possibly didn't protect your baby... Right that guilt may come on you and all that. I don't know what she felt, you know, but I could, being older now, it's like, okay, um, your mom wanted to protect your baby and she felt like she didn't protect her baby, mm. you know? And so I don't blame her at all. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like she had no idea. I knew how to keep a secret. Yeah. You did, know? Did you tell your siblings? I did, you know? <laughs> um, you know, it just, it was just a shocker to them to be able to, um, to do that, okay. You know? So it. it was it was one of those things because I knew that's where that freedom was going to yeah. come from. Yeah. Because I knew that my pain would have to be talked about. Yeah, I got it. And you don't ever want that to be a surprise to you, at least your mom. So you, I owed it to her. Yeah. You know, and to talk about these things and to go through counseling and like yeah. all these things because I want to be a whole man. Yeah. And you can't be a whole man if you still carry around the pain. Mm. What would you, what advice would you give to somebody listening to this, um, 
who may be struggling with that, who mm-hmm. was go- either has gone through it and has told people or the person who hasn't told people. I mean, obviously your advice is talk to someone, mm-hmm. but what would, I'm sure over the years you've had the opportunity because you're a very open book, obviously, <laughs> and you've shared with people, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they have then felt the comfort to share back with you. Mm-hmm. Faith was very important to you, and yeah. depending on where you are in your journey, there may be people listening to this that aren't people of faith or may have find other ways to cope. But what would you say, human to human, um, to someone who's, who's dealing with this? Mm-hmm. Find the courage to find your voice. Mm. And two, what, what does that mean? Find the courage to find your voice. When that has happened to you, you lose your voice. Mm. Like you lose your truth. And these are things that you're not supposed to talk about. It's a secret. Right. With secrets, you don't talk. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so you're saying, don't believe that lie. Yeah, don't believe that lie. You have to talk. If not, if you are left to your secrets, the enemy can do a lot of things in your life. Mm-hmm. A lot of things, even push you to suicide, mm-hmm. push you to depression, push you to all of these toxic things because nobody knows. Right. But he also messes with your identity and he'll tell you what you are and what you're not. When all of a sudden, like God is just like, no, this is who you are. And so from a human standpoint, human to human, it's just like find your voice. But also don't find your identity in your pain. Mm. Talk about that. Because anytime that you have coped with something, mm-hmm. you've built a fantasy world right. to cope it with it. Right. So therefore, your identity is in this pain because you've built a whole world to protect yourself. Right. And it's not even based on truth. Right. You can't you can't keep it for a long time. Mm-hmm. It 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 works, but then now you can't have meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. You don't trust anybody. You can't find that spouse said because you can't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. All these different things. So a lot of people get a rise out of being in pain. Right. It gives the, it gives an excuse. I don't, and I use that word very very lightly and carefully. Sure. Because you can never deny anybody's pain. However, it's my duty and ability. To not let the pain affect the rest right. of my life. Let it control you. The rest Absolutely, of your life. and that's that's one thing that I said that I didn't want to do. Mm. Like I came to the point, I was like, "How long am I going to let this affect my life?" Because I didn't ask for it. Okay, that's the victim. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask for it. So was I taken advantage of? Absolutely. But here I am, twenty eight, and then I got through all the rest of these days. To live, am I going, do I want to stay in the same place? Mm-hmm. And my answer was no. Mm-hmm. Because if God says who he, if God is who he says he is, and if God gave me Jesus and Jesus says he, he's, he's who he says he is, there's healing and freedom in that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to bask or keep my identity because I found, I have found comfort in my pain. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who I am. You don't know what happened to me. And I use that to not heal. Yeah, you said something earlier, and I want to back up to it. And I, I want to I want to communicate this, and people get this because um, it's been part of my journey, and I know it's been part of yours. We've got to be really, really careful, Isaiah, that we don't use God or church mm-hmm. as a way to hide our crap. 
and to excuse our crap Mm -hmm. and to not deal with our crap. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk to that a little bit? Because it sounds to me like you know what I'm talking about. And there's a fine line there because we want to be people who walk in our faith. We want Mm -hmm. to allow um, the divine to bring healing into our lives. Mm -hmm. And yet, many times, um, we can even deceive ourselves thinking Mm -hmm. that, oh, I've already dealt with that. God is bigger. Yeah. I don't need to talk to anyone because Jesus is the only one that can heal me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay because I'm claiming this scripture verse. Mm-hmm. And all of those can be a ways to deflect really dealing and being honest with Absolutely. the ways, the things. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Absolutely. That was the reason why I got in counseling. Mm. Because, and I'll never forget, I love this song. It's by Natalie Grant. And it brings me to tears because it says, and I know this is what, but it says, help me want the healer more than the healing. Help me want the giver more than the giving. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the interview before that, she was just like, I had to go get some help Mm -hmm. physically Mm -hmm. from her depression Mm -hmm. because we can say scriptures and we can meditate on them and all that stuff. But sometimes it doesn't take away that heaviness. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't take away the secret of it because, like, yeah, I gave it to God, but I still haven't talked to anybody else about it, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, God is the only person I need to talk to. The word says, confess your sins to one another um, that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. So healing also comes with confessing to a brother, mm-hmm. to a sister, mm-hmm. okay? So I have to go talk to somebody physically, because I need to be able to know that humanly mm-hmm. that it's okay to feel like this. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be mad. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel angry. It's not okay to stay there. Mm. Right. So at that point, like I remember the real conversations that I had with God. I had to get real with him. I was like, man, I'm mad at you. Like mm-hmm. I'm mad That's at good. you. And people are just like, oh, don't you get mad at God. Like He'll strike you down. Yes, he can. Yes, he will. Hallelujah. But at this point, my heart is saying that I'm hurt. And I think we see a precedence for that all throughout Scripture. Absolutely. The Psalms are full of it. Mm-hmm. Lamentations are full of it. Isaiah. Yes. You know. It's truth, Bob. Right. We run away from the truth. Mm-hmm. And we feel like society has made it bad or religion has made it bad that you have a struggle. Mm-hmm. Or that you you can't talk to anybody about that. Mm-hmm. Just give it to God. Mm. And that's why a lot of people perish. Mm. Do you think there's something... I was talking to a, a guest uh, last time about this. There's something um, that we miss, I think, many times when we're reading uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about you're blessed when you mourn. Mm-hmm. You're blessed... He's like, all these things that we see as bad things, he's like, no, that's when you're blessed. Mm -hmm. There's something about this pathway and doorway of of, of pain and suffering that brings blessing. Uh uh, That is the upside down world that we try to live in while we're trying to avoid it all the time. It's almost like Jesus says, no, run into it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be spit out, just like Jonah, yeah. on the shore, yeah. transformed. Mm-hmm. But you got to be willing to go in the belly of the whale for a little while. That is correct. Um, don't get your identity from it. Right. 
But if you don't go there, you don't experience the blessing. That's correct. So that's a that's not a popular sermon that you hear a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and yet that seems like that's what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Absolutely. He didn't say blessed were the uh, people who had it together. Absolutely. Or Come blessed were, are the people who don't ever have any problems. Uh-huh. He says the poor, the those that mourn, yeah. those that hunger and thirst, yeah. um, those are the people that are going to be experience the richness of, of God's Absolutely. blessing. So, yeah, I mean, Jesus was king of destroying the Pharisees. And Jesus was slick, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And he had a slick mouth to it. I, I just got to give it to him. And I, yeah, he was funny to me. He flipping tables and all that because he knew that the Pharisees have set up something. Because that was the whole point of him coming. Mm. Because they couldn't be perfect. Right. Every time that something was established or a king was established or something was established to keep the law, the law is perfection. Right. And we can't do it. Right. And that's where the heaviness comes from because we're trying to keep the law when grace is right there. And that's the reason why Jesus came. So at that point, now it's like that's where truth comes in. Mm-hmm. He's like, help me to know truth in my inner being. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And if your inner being is hollering and crying out, your truth is, my, I need to holler and cry out. Because at that point, that's where I am right now. David. David was so remorseful for sleeping with Bathsheba. Like his mm-hmm. his kingdom went just got destroyed because of one thing. Yeah. And I'm sure the depression and psychological warfare that he was going through. I mean, we see it in the book of Psalms. Absolutely. But David was truthful with where he was. Right. And Ish. I think I think that's that's the that's the key, right? Yes. Truth. You gotta say your truth. Mm. Because if not, it's gonna be a lie. You're gonna live a lie. Right. So if you hurt, because like if I get cut right now and I got this big gash and I'm bleeding, I can't sit in front of you and say, oh, I'm healed. You know right. what I'm saying? I'm okay. And you see the blood mm-hmm. rolling down my arm. We have to tell where we're cut. Yeah. I was listening to somebody today and he, I, he gave a great illustration of how our minds and our bodies and our, our souls work. Mm-hmm. So that we think... We're in control. Yeah. And he said, and if you were to use the illustration of a, uh, a business, your businessman, mm-hmm. um, and you would say, okay, describe yourself and your brain in control of your body. Mm-hmm. You'd use the illustration of a CEO. Right. You'd say, well, I'm the CEO of who, who Isaiah is and uh, my brain, uh, etc." cetera. Mm-hmm. But even the CEO... Um, doesn't always know what's going on. As a matter of fact, um, a CEO only knows a few things, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't know about these departments that are hiring and firing people. Right. He only knows the most important things. Right. And sometimes CEO's not even in control. If there's an emergency in the place, Mm -hmm. armed guards are going to come in and take over and CEO's out. Mm Mm-hmm. I think in the same way, we think we have control of ourselves, of our hearts and our souls and our minds, uh, but we only are in control of so much. That is correct. And so these things within us that we're holding or or the lies that we're telling or the things that we've never shared with someone um, can really wreak havoc on us. Mm -hmm. And many times we don't even know what's going on. For sure. 
And somebody also said that the body never forgets. Your mind might, yeah. but the manifestations that we have, even in our reactions, in mm-hmm. our physical health, mm-hmm. our pains, yeah. can all be part of that. Yeah. Not telling, not being open, not being honest. Absolutely. Um, it's the subconscious mind. Right, right. Like you have the the mind and you have the subconscious mm. mind and the subconscious mind was created to store all the memories yeah and that's why the body responds because the subconscious mind sends an image to mm. your mm. front mind it's like hey remember the last time you did that this is what happened so i'm going to react mm. like this so our mind is the most powerful thing and it is the ceo right right <laughs> the mind is right and if that's not renewed because the sense of control comes from or the need to have control can also come from that pain mm. because if i can control this that means i won't get hurt yeah. so at that point we have to be risk takers to be like even if i get hurt i'm okay mm. because i have a new truth mm. that's good and if you've worked through and done your work you'll be able to be okay with letting your arms open. Mm, mm, that's good. This has been good. A lot to unpack. Thank you for your time. You're so welcome. And thank you for being vulnerable and honest and sharing. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be uh, a beautiful thing to a lot of people, hopefully, that listen. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, uh, is there somewhere for if they want a pie, if they want to sell a house, <laughs> if they're here in Nashville? Absolutely. Is there anything you want to let people know how to find you? Yeah, find me on Google. Okay, so just Google Isaiah Tatum. <laughs> right. Oh, you can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com, you know, slash Isaiah D. Tatum. Um, you'll find me there. And all of my social medias, Good. Facebook and Instagram are Isaiah, I-S-I-A-H. Awesome. D-T-A-T-U-M. And um, you can find me there. And just message me. I, I respond. This has been a great time. Thank you. Thank you. So much, you. Love you, man. Love you too.